Good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. If it's your first time here or 400th time here, we want you to know that you are welcome, you are wanted, and you're loved. That's our motto. No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. Help me out with that. That's something we just want to make sure you know. No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. Hope you've had a good week. It's been one of those weeks with lots of ups and downs. You had a week with lots of ups and downs, too. Well, we played uh, softball on Saturday, Church League softball. Let me tell you what. We wore them out in the first inning. We wore them out. They were so tired of running bases that they could barely play the rest of the game. That's me and Patrick's strategy, right, Patrick? Wear them out in that first inning. And they're just... I mean, they were, could barely get out in the field when it was our turn to bat. They were just dragging because they've been running bases the whole time. Unfortunately, the one little flaw in our plan is that the score of the first inning counts. Uh, other than that, we did great. You take out the first inning of most of the games we played this year, and we've been right in it, man, because our strategy works except for the, the one thing about the, the score counting. It's a big week for the kids going back to school. Do we have some any, any excitement with school kids going back? I don't see it. I don't see it. My son looks depressed down here. He's going into the sixth grade. It's going to be okay, man. It's going to be all right. He says he's tired. He's tired. Yeah. You see him beating those drums up here? That's why he's tired. I, he's, I'm good. That's a good thing these things are tough. Pray for our school kids as they go back. That's a, a big, big deal. Um, some kids, like my kids have not been to in-person school in a year and a half. So it'll be a weird transition back. Pray for anybody who works in the school system. That's a big job anyway. We want them to do well. It's uh, maybe not the easiest time to be a teacher. Today, though, is an interesting time to be a preacher because I get to talk to you about this series that we've been in about the, the end times. We're sort of getting down towards the conclusion of the series on the end times. We're almost to the happily ever after part where we're spent eternity with the Lord. But there's one more really difficult thing we've got to get through first. It's the sort of thing that we might like to skip over because it's so uncomfortable, but we really don't get to skip over the uncomfortable things in the Word of God. Often that is where you can learn the most. The, the verses or the passages that challenge you, that challenge the way you think, challenge your worldview, that's maybe where we have the most room to learn. So today's message is in part about how God is going to put an end to evil once and for all. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, let's evil. You look around the world, you see things that bother you, things that you know are wrong, things that if you might say to yourself, well, if I was God... If I was God, I'd just put my thumb out there. Yeah, he's into it. I appreciate that little fella. And you know what that baby boy's name is back there? His name is Michael. What a fantastic name. What a fantastic name for any human being. But uh, if we would look at it and say, well, man, if, if I was God, I would put a stop to this evil stuff in the world. Man, there's so much bad stuff in the world. Or if maybe we were having an extra bad day, we might say something like, 
I just don't know. I know God's supposed to be good, but how can God be good when he allows so much bad in the world? Or, or some folks who would even take it to the extreme of saying, I don't know. Looking around the world and seeing all the evil, I don't even know if there is a God because there's all the evil in the world. And you know what? Those are feelings that, that people will have. Good news is we have some good answers for those questions. Good answers from those concerns. It's okay to ask questions, but it's not okay not to seek an answer. We're going to get some answers today. Human beings have sort of a complicated relationship with the question of evil. We, we wonder why there's evil in the world and why God would allow it. And the short answer to the question of why is there evil in the world is because there's people in the world. Yeah, ouch. Yeah, there's people in the world. And God has given people the ability to choose. He gave us the ability to choose. He did not make us as robots. And I think most days we appreciate the, the gift of choice. But if God gives us the ability to choose, if he gives us what might be called moral agency or free will, that means we can also choose bad things. Because if you can only choose what is good or only choose one thing, you don't really have a meaningful choice. And we would say, well, okay, it's good that we have free will, but why can't God stop people from choosing evil? Interesting, we always think of it as God stopping someone else from making a choice. We never stop and think, hold on, if he stops other people's choices, he'd have to stop mine too. Maybe we assume that all our choices are good. I don't know. <laughs> the answer is, if God only allowed us to choose good or choose one thing, that we would, really wouldn't have choice. All right. Let's just say someone says you can have any kind of ice cream that you want. You like ice cream? Well, even if you don't, you're going to get some. You can have any kind of ice cream that you want, so long as it's birthday cake-flavored ice cream. My children love birthday cake-flavored ice cream. Not me. It's bad. It tastes like you're eating right out of the sugar canister to me. Maybe that's because I'm getting old and my tastes are changing. I don't know. But my 11-year-old son thinks birthday cake ice cream is the bomb. Although he wasn't there for the 90s and he doesn't know what the bomb means. But some of y'all were there and you, you know what I'm talking about. But if you can only choose birthday cake ice cream, and is, do you really have a choice? No. Uh, and, and if you don't have any choice even to opt out, that you must have some ice cream, you, you don't really have a choice. You see, God created human beings with the ability to choose, and the unflattering answer is there's evil in the world, mostly because given the choice between good and evil, human beings so often choose what is wrong and bad and even folks who love God who are trying to live right the temptation's always there isn't it to do the wrong thing to say the sharp comment to have the wrong hard feelings towards someone to be unforgiving towards some to do all these sorts of things that maybe no one sees but us i mean obviously if you go in you know you go into a store and rob it that is a very obvious crime and an obvious bad thing but if you're holding some ugliness in your heart people can't see that and they don't put you in jail for that but it's still there it still influences the way you live every single 
day. God gave us the ability to choose, and so often humans choose evil over good. All sin and evil goes back to people abusing the gift of choice. Even some of the evils that we might call natural evils, like like hurricanes and earthquakes and sickness and stuff like that, and you're going to say, well, how, how could that go back to that? Well, God made the world perfect, and none of that came in until sin came in, until sin corrupted the world. Here's what I am not saying. I am not saying that specific bad things happen because some person did a specific bad thing. If I get a flat tire on the way home, it's not necessarily because I said something and I shouldn't. You know what I'm saying? It's a very dangerous ground to think you know why somebody's going through what they're going through. If you know someone who's going through something, say, ah, I bet that's because mm, they've been gossiping. You know what? That's, that's really dangerous, y'all. I would not do that because we don't really know that. And then, of course, you're gossiping too at that point, so better watch out. <laughs> uh, um, it's not that things like that are specific punishments by speci- for specific sins by specific people. Rather, the whole system of the world is broken and corrupted by sin. In a world that is messed up by evil, all sorts of evil, messed up things happen. All right, let me put it like this. Have you ever owned a piece of junk car? A piece of junk car. The kind of car that you could do everything right. Give it the oil it needs. Pet it, pray for it. You ever have one of those cars you got to pray for before you crank? Say, Lord Jesus, I lay hands upon this Hyundai in the name of Jesus, and I pray that it'll crank. You ever had a car like that? You didn't have to do anything for that car to break down, did you? Because it was a piece of junk. Let me tell you something about planet Earth. (laughs) It's a piece of junk. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. I don't mean that it's not a wonderful place that God made. I'm just saying it has been broken and corrupted by sin. So things are going to happen. We don't actually have to do anything. God has given us the gift of choice. It, It It bothers us when people use their choice for evil. We imagine God should stop people from being bad. But of course, we never seem to understand that if God prevented people from making bad choices, then he's going to stop us from making choices too and reduce us to robots. God has given us the gift of choice, and he's not going to take it away. But we need to realize the gift comes with consequences if we abuse it. Um, We what we do with the gift of choice makes all the difference. And the, the ultimate consequences of our choices show up on the day we stand before God. And that's what I'm talking about today, a day we might call Judgment Day. When I hear Judgment Day, I think of Terminator 2. And I don't want you to really, I probably messed up by putting that in your head. Sorry. Mm, sorry. That's just what comes into my head. You know, it's a Judgment Day isn't necessarily this big end of the world events, kind of like that, but it is the day that we'll stand before God and give an account. And that is something that we should be thinking about and being prepared for because the, the consequences of our choices will come home on that day. However, we can have a very different outcome depending on the choices that we make. So we're in Revelation chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 7 through 15. They will be up here on the screen for you, and you can find them on your your paper Bible or your device. Let's kind of place this in the timeline of the end times. This happens after the tribulation period is over. That's those seven years of 
of uh, judgment that people think of when they think of the book of Revelation. That's after the tribulation period is over, after Jesus has come back, after he has reigned a thousand years on the earth, and then this. So that's where we're at. We're after the millennial kingdom of Christ. And uh, we're going to see two things here. We're going to see the last opportunity of humankind to abuse the gift of free will. And then we're going to see that uh, that last judgment and the final judgment, which is based on how people have chosen to use the gift of free will. So I'm going to read for us a little bit and pray. Let's let's read. When the thousand years came to an end, comes to an end, Satan will be led out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for a battle a mighty army, as numberless as the sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went upon the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever. And on that very solemn note, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to understand what you have given us. That we might choose the right things, choose Jesus, and that we don't have to have any worries about the judgment day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you caught the message last week, either here live or or in recorded form, um, we we talked about how after Jesus' victory at the end of the tribulation period, a mighty angel comes down catches the devil, ties him up in chains, and throws him in the bottomless pit. Hey, I like the sound of that. Do you like the sound of that? A world where the devil is locked up and he doesn't bother us anymore? Well, the world will experience just such a time for a thousand years. A thousand years with no devil to mess stuff up. It will be an incredible period of peace and prosperity. And we call it the millennial kingdom of Christ. has nothing to do with the millennial generation and everything to do with Jesus ruling the world. Go catch the message from last week. It's on YouTube and it's on the podcast. It's about anywhere you can stream audio, even places that you think of more for music like iHeartRadio and Pandora. We're on that. Just look up Recreate Church and you'll see this cool logo and you'll know that it's us and you can get us anytime. Those uh, usually come up on Mondays, but sometimes as late as Fridays, but most of them on Monday. So uh, during that period of time, when everything is peaceful and prosperous, there was going to be a big, massive population explosion. Thousands of millions and billions of people will be born, and the world will be such a paradise that it will be able to support such a large population. All these people being born, nobody dying. That's kind of my understanding of it. So there'll be billions and billions of people who have only ever known peace and prosperity and plenty and goodness. A world full of people who have never known what it's like to be tempted by the devil. Sounds nice, doesn't it? All these people who've never known anything but wonderful goodness and have never had to worry about the devil coming along and putting bad ideas in their head. But do you see, there's a kind of a problem there. What did we say before that if you... If you've only ever been able to choose one thing, you haven't really had the opportunity to choose. 
this will be a generation of people, many generations of people, who've never had a meaningful choice between good and evil. There's only been good. There's, there's only been God. There's not been a devil around. That's a very wonderful thing, by the way, you know, to not have to go through the struggle of choosing between good and evil. Wouldn't we like that if, you know, we just knew we were going to do the right thing always and didn't have to wrestle with that? That'd be, that'd be cool. But, of course, part of the problem here is God gives everyone the gift of choice, and there'll be an awful lot of people who've never really had the opportunity to choose between God and anything else. So God's going to give them that opportunity to choose, and unfortunately... Just as we do today, some of them are going to use their gift of choice to make a bad choice, to choose evil. So we read that after the 1,000 years is over, Satan's going to be turned loose for a while. Turned loose to do what the devil does. And uh, he is going to deceive some people. He's going to deceive a lot of people and... Some of them will turn away from God. Now, you would think that people who had only ever known goodness and blessings and wonderful things would never want anything else. All right. Anybody else grow up having to deal with cows? Got any other people dealing with cows? You can have cows in the most wonderful green field, and you leave the gate open, and don't go out into a desert. Why? Because somebody left the gate open. It happens. I mean, and humans are sort of like that. We can have something so good and then mess it up. The number one problem, the, 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 the person who is most responsible for most of our problems is the, the person sitting in our chairs right now. You know, it's us. We're our biggest enemy so most of the time. And you, you're telling me that these are people who live in paradise for a thousand years and they're still going to let the devil trip them up. The devil's going to trick them into thinking that this paradise is not enough. Would people really fall for that? Happens all the time. That's where it got started back in the Garden of Eden. God put Adam and Eve in paradise. And the devil came along and convinced them that the Garden of Eden was not enough. Man, how would you like it if all you had to do was chill, do a little garden, and eat some fruit and just hang out? That'd be all right, wouldn't it? That'd be nice. No, no other responsibilities, but human beings were convinced that it wasn't enough. In this day, people will live in a thousand years of paradise, and the devil will fool them into thinking that it's, it's not enough. Right now, today, in our lives, the devil will try to convince us that whatever God has given us is not enough. That's a real thing, that it's not enough. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't try to excel in whatever you do and be prosperous in the things that you do. But man, when that spirit of discontent gets deep inside of you and you cannot be happy with what God has given you, that is a recipe for disaster. I don't want that for you or for me or for anybody. So the devil is going to manage it. He's going to trick a lot of people and, and he is going to... Uh, Gather an army, let's see, verse 7, if you will, Casey, verse 7, and uh, he'll call this army, uh, John, who was writing this, called this army Gog and Magog, or Gog and Magog is what I used to hear years ago, and uh, those names are, are names of people groups from the ancient world who were enemies of God and his people, 
And uh, in Ezekiel chapter 38, there's like this story of the battle of Gog and Magog. And, and uh, those names are familiar. And people have said, well, is it the same thing? And after studying out at length for quite a while, I don't think it's the same. Uh, there are some key differences there. That's another battle that might take place during the tribulation period. We can, we can talk about that sometime if you'd like. But uh, the bottom line is, I, I think John called them Gog and Magog because of the similarities. You have a huge host of, of people converging unprovoked on the promised land. So uh, the rebellion won't last long. <laughs> verse 9, if you will. Let's see, verse 9 here. Fire comes from heaven and consumes them. Ah, that's it. That will not be much of a rebellion. You know, you, when it comes down to it, we can't really stand against God. God's going to just send a fire and destroy them like that. So after that, here's some more good news. Good news. Next verse, verse 10. The Satan, Satan will finally and forever be cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the eternal prison for the devil and for those who choose his side. Now, the lake of fire is usually what people are talking about when they say hell, when they say the word hell, referring to the place. Most of the time, when, when people refer to the place hell, what they really mean is the lake of fire. There is some distinction there, but uh, we won't get in a theological battle over that. I mean, we kind of know what we're talking about. It's the bad place. It's the down escalator. You know what I mean? It's the place with no air conditioning, uh, unlike the wonderful air conditioning that's happening in here today. Probably the probably the the, the cold-natured people are freezing, but I'm up here sweating. I'm just going to keep on sweating, and I'll handle the sweating part, and y'all handle the chilling part, and we are right. So uh, here's what I want you to know. The lake of fire was designed as an eternal holding cell for the devil. I cannot say this enough. The devil is not in charge of hell. Biblically speaking, the devil is not in charge of hell. I know the comics and the memes have a little dude down there. The, devil, the, the deviled ham guy, okay, in the red pajamas with the pitchfork. They got that guy sitting down there in hell just chilling like, like he's a middle manager or something and just bummed out that he got such a bad job that he's been put in charge of hell. That is not theologically sound. I would not get your theology from cartoons or, or internet or, or cans of preserved meats that you can't identify. Okay, I would not get my theology from any place like that. Theologically speaking, the devil has never even been to hell. He's going there, and he's staying there. And when he shows up, he won't be in charge of it. He'll be a prisoner. And no better off than anybody else in that horrible, awful place of flame, darkness, and separation from all that is good and wholesome and lovely and holy. The devil is not the king of hell. He is going to be incarcerated there. So let's read in verse 11. Let's read a little bit more here and kind of see the rest of that. So at this point, the devil's been locked up, and he's going to be locked up forever and ever. Verse 11 reads like this. And I saw a great white throne and one sitting on it. This is the throne of God, and that's God on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and they were all judged according to their deeds. 
Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. No more death. No more grave. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Man, this is heavy stuff. I told you, some of this stuff, there's a temptation to just, eh, let's not talk about that. Let's go to something else. Can we, you know, can we cut now to Jesus feeding the 5,000? That's good because he's feeding people and it's happy. But no, this is here and we kind of need to know what's going on here too. This is it. This is the last stop. This is the day of destiny. This is the day people stand before God. I cannot emphasize enough that we don't want anybody to face this day. You might have met some religious people along the way who seem pretty happy about the idea of some people facing this sort of judgment. Man, that does not reflect our heart. That does not reflect the heart of God. Okay? The, the, the people holding the signs that saying, you know, talk about wanting somebody to burn in hell. That does not reflect God's heart. Here's what reflects God's heart. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent and turn to God. Second, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 4 says, God wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. And John three sixteen tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Does that sound like a God who's just saying like, man, I can't wait to throw some people in hell. No, no. This is a God who's done everything possible to save us from that. God the Father sent Jesus the Son to pay the price so that no one would have to face that judgment day. And yet he still gives us the choice. He gives us the choice. What will we do? We refer to Judgment Day as a singular event, but it's, um, it's really two Judgment Days. If you read very closely in the Word of God, two Judgment Days makes me think. Sometimes things are named and we think of them as one thing. Like, the, what are those Final Fantasy video games? How, much, how many are they up to now? Like 20 of those? I mean... No. 15 of those can it really be the final one when there's 15 anyway i don't know i don't that's not kind of on my list um anyway there are two judgment days i want you to see that the one is the judgment we find here if you'll go to verse 11 the we call it the great white throne judgment the great white throne and um we read about how i just want to clarify this the bodies of the dead being raised and They'll be remade. I don't want you to think that there's like zombies standing for the throne of God. This ain't reanimated corpses. This is, this is um, bodies being remade so that everyone will stand before God in a material body, not just their spirit, but in a material form. You know, whether, whether they're on God's team or not, everyone will be reanimated to that effect, you know, rebuilt from the molecular level up. So they'll stand before God in a body. And we read that they will be judged by their deeds. I think that's verse 12, maybe. Verse 12. Open the books and judge by their deeds. Most people think of being judged by their deeds as an okay thing. Because most of us kind of look at our own lives and say, you know, I haven't done everything right, but I think I'm going to get a passing grade. I'll get a passing grade. I, I realize I've done some bad stuff in my life, but I think I can squeak by with a C maybe a B minus and be okay. 
Some days I get an A because I'm real good. And when the person cut me off in traffic, I just, I prayed for them. I said, bless them, Lord. Just bless them. Bless, mm, bless their hearts. Bless them good, Lord. Um, and I know God must love me because when I pulled in the Walmart parking lot, there was a space right in the front. Because that's how we know that God really loves us and that we're blessed and highly favored is based on parking spaces, maybe. You know what? I only got a master's degree in theology, so I might not understand that as well as, as some people do. Anyway, anyway, we think that we would be judged by our deeds and turn out okay. And that's sort of the idea of most religion and moral philosophy in the world, that if you keep the rules good enough... You do the good things. You, you do the religious things if you're religious. If you're not religious, you, you do the moral things, whatever that happens to be at the moment in society, whatever's considered moral in that moment. But you're a good little boy, you're a good little girl, and you keep the rules. And when you get to heaven, God will put all your good deeds on one side of the scale, and he'll put all your bad deeds on one side of the scale. And so long as the good deeds outweigh the bad, you're in. Huh. I must. I think I missed that part in the Bible. That is a bit of an oversimplification of sort of the teaching of moral philosophy and religion. But, I mean, you just put some church clothes on that, and it's pretty much, that's what the world teaches, that uh, if your good deeds outweigh your bad, you're, you're okay. Um, unfortunately, that is built on a completely false premise. Completely false premise. Just because we think something's valuable doesn't mean God values it. Let me just put it like this. Okay. Let's just say, um, remember that piece of junk car we were talking about earlier? You're finally tired of it. You're ready to sell it, okay? And you put it on Craigslist, all right? And you have got somebody right away who wants to buy your piece of junk car and pay you exactly what you want for it, maybe even a little bit more. And they say they got cash money. You're going to sell your, your car, and you're going to sell it today. And, uh, of course, you don't know if this person is a weirdo or an axe murderer or what, so you meet him out in a public place. You're going to go over to the food line parking lot. So I'll meet you at the food line parking lot. I'll be the one driving the piece of junk car. Um, so you go and you meet him, and you, you're trying to, trying to like, figure him out. It's like, okay, is this, a, is this a safe person? Is this a crazy person? And you talk to him, and they seem nice, and they're ready. Hey, I do. Hey, I like your, I like your car. It's a nice piece of junk car. I want to buy your car. I have the money right here, and you're all ready to make the transaction until they hand you the stack of cash, and it's Monopoly money. You know, like the paper money from the old Monopoly game. It's Monopoly money. And you look at him like, is this, is this a joke? Am I being filmed right now? Is this one of those, those prank shows? And you're like looking around for the camera and like, is this going to be on America's Funniest Home Videos? Or, or you, t you know, where, where's this going? And, and you're, you look at them funny and they, they don't look back at you funny. They're serious about it. And they're like, hey, is this, a, is this a joke? No. And they count out the Monopoly money again. And they say, hey, no, no, no. I want to buy your car. I want to buy your car. And, and you, you realize they're serious that they are serious, that they honestly believe that this monopoly money has the value to purchase your car. And you know this car ain't worth much, but monopoly money won't buy it. 
However, the person in front of you is absolutely convinced, sincerely convinced that this is of value and they should be able to exchange their Monopoly money for your car. And they're starting to get mad. Why'd you put it on Craigslist if you weren't going to sell it? I got cash in hand right now. And they're wondering why you're being mean if you're, if you're trying to pull a trick on them. They demand that you honor the transaction, and they shout loudly for all of town to hear what a crook you are because you won't sell them the car for the Monopoly money. So I ask you, are you going to make that transaction? Probably not. Why? Because no matter how very sincerely the person in front of you believes the Monopoly money is of value, it simply is not of value to purchase what they want to purchase. That is a crazy roundabout way of explaining to you that as much as we might feel like our good deeds should be currency to buy our way into heaven, it just does not work that way. It will, your good deeds will not buy your way into heaven. You should still do good things. That does come up here. We'll talk about it in a little bit. You should do the right things. You, you should follow you know, God's rules. You should live right but you simply will not get into heaven on good deeds. You can't, you can't buy your way into heaven, can't buy your way into God's kingdom with monopoly money. And there is going to be some people who stand before the great white throne and figure that out the hard way. And I don't want that to be any of you guys or anybody else. You see, no one who stands before the great white throne will make it through. Nobody's good, deed, good deeds will measure up. Nobody gets a passing grade on judgment day because God does not grade on a curve. It's either 100 or nothing. And nobody has lived a perfectly righteous life. No one ever has except for Jesus. The only sensible thing to do is to not be there for that judgment day. Remember I said there was another judgment day? This is the, this is the one you want to be a part of. You don't want to be part of the great white throne judgment because nobody gets through that one. We need to be a part of this, this other one, this other judgment day, as uh, we're, we're not based on what we have done, we're based on what Jesus has done. This is good news. 2 Corinthians 5.10, if you'll put that up on the screen, Casey. We call this the judgment seat of Christ, and it reads like this, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Some translations say we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. Now, I cannot emphasize enough, this is not a judgment that is about um, salvation or condemnation. This is, this is for believers. Believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So the salvation thing's already been settled by choosing Christ while on this earth, while in this life. This will be about giving an account of what you've done with your life after you were saved. What have you done with what God has trusted to you? We will give an account of our faithfulness for how we've used the gifts, talents, resources, time, opportunities that God has given us to make a positive impact on the world and to point people in the direction of Jesus. So the question that this judgment, this judgment seat of Christ is not up escalator or down escalator. It is, have we been faithful with what we have been given? You won't be judged. I want you to know this. You won't be judged on what other people have given. When I, we talk about these things, somebody says, well, I, just, I haven't been given as many talents, or I haven't, God didn't give me as much money as I did someone else. 
God is not going to play the comparison game. He's just going to say, what have you done with what I've given you? The judgment seat of Christ isn't about being punished or not being punished. It's about blessing and how much. More faithful means more blessing. And, you know, more obedience means more blessing. Doing more with what you're given is more blessing. Uh, It's true that we'll all have that judgment day before God, but which one? Which one? You, You want to be a part of the good one. The good one. The judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ will be about blessing. The great white throne will be about punishment. So during this life, I said we have the gift of choice, right? The ultimate expression of the gift of choice is whether we'll choose Jesus or not. That's what it comes down to ultimately. We'll choose which judgment day we face. We'll choose to be um, judged on our own goodness or on the goodness of Jesus. Uh, And I know which one I choose. My goodness is not that much, but the goodness of Jesus overflows. I don't want to be judged on my own righteousness because I won't make the cut. I want to be judged on the righteousness of Christ that is pure and holy. So the question for you and I is, do we want to be judged on how perfectly we have lived our lives or how perfectly Jesus lived his? Give me Jesus every single time. God gives us the gift of choice, and what we choose will determine the judgment we face. We'll choose to trust works or we'll choose to trust grace. Now somebody's going to ask, hold on pastor doesn't god know what we will choose what about the doctrine of election and predestination and those sorts of things and those are great questions and i'll talk to you all i've done i've studied that out we can talk about that but the bottom line is yes god knows but we don't we don't know from god's perspective he chooses us from our perspective we choose god Which one is right? Both. It's really quite something. This incredible, beautiful, unresolvable tension between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man is one of the great mysteries that maybe in heaven we'll understand. But here, it's we don't get that. From our point of view here and now, we know that we choose. Because someday... All people, great and small, rich and poor, will stand before God to give an account. And only those whose names are written in the book of life will endure. And Jesus is the one who writes down those names. So I said in our study of the end times, it's not been my purpose to scare you. Some of this stuff is pretty scary stuff. I get it. But I just want to show you you don't have to be scared. God made a way you don't have to be scared. Uh, you can, God gives us the ability to choose, and we can choose life. We can choose freedom. We can choose the way of escape. We can choose Jesus. It's not something we like to think about, talk about, or dwell on, but we'll, let's, we'll all spend eternity somewhere. Hell is a real place. I don't want anybody to spend their days there. It was made for the devil, not for you or for me. We can choose the right side. God has repeatedly said that he doesn't want anyone to face that judgment day. And he proved it by sending Jesus. And Jesus proved it by laying down his life. So here's the bottom line. We'll all stand before God someday, but we get to choose. Will we choose the judgment where we have to make the case before God that we have lived our lives in a perfectly righteous way? Because I can't make that case for me. Or do we want to choose 
the judgment seat of Christ, where we receive His mercy and we're based on His, we're judged on His righteousness. That is our choice. That is our choice. I want us to pray right now. If you've never made that choice, now's the time to make the choice to trust in Jesus. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for everyone receiving this message here live and later on as they're listening to it. Lord, 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 if there's anybody who's never trusted in Jesus and been saved, I pray you will prick their hearts right now. That you'll move them with your Holy Spirit to call upon the name of Jesus and pray to you and Say, Lord, Father, I want to be saved. Please forgive my sin. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe that he lived a perfect, sinless life, that he gave his life for me, and he rose again. God, I want to be saved. I give you my life now, and I pray that I might live for you. Father in heaven, I pray for all of us that we would be people with such compassion for the people around us. We don't want anybody to face judgment. We want everyone to find life in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing today. Um, If you want to know more about who we are and what we stand for, you can check our website. We'd love to hear from you. Fill out one of those connection cards and drop it in our box if you want to get in touch with me. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.